It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Welcome to Quantum number 112. Quantum is a podcast that looks at news and culture uh, from a Christian perspective. Uh, Not the only Christian perspective, but this very personal one. Uh, My name is David Robertson and I'm based here in Sydney, Australia. I'm from Scotland. I'm interested in the world and hopefully I'm on my way to heaven. Um, This week we are going to look at some arts, culture, books, politics, news, um, and I hope that you'll find it interesting. But let's begin with a couple of people who have died. First of all, do you know who this is? Good morning, Steed. The door's open. Social visit. That's it. Happened to be passing by. Thought I'd drop in. The coffee's over there. There doesn't appear to be any cream. The cream? is in the kitchen. That was, of course, the theme for the Avengers. She played uh, this, uh, the woman who died is Diana Rigg, uh, an amazing actress, actually, who was a Shakespearean actress, a very intelligent woman, most famous for playing Emma Peel in The Avengers from 1965 to 1967, although such a short period of time, yet it had a phenomenal influence. It's hard to convey how influential The Avengers were, and certainly a whole lot better than the cartoon uh, Marvel version. And then someone else who's died. Not not a cause for celebration, but most famous for this song. There's a party going on right here. A celebration to last throughout the years. So bring your good times and your laughter too. We gon' celebrate your party with you. Come on now. That, of course, was Ronald Callis Bell, co-founder of Cool and the Gang, who wrote things like Jungle Boogie, Summer Madness, Cherish, and, of course, that song, Celebration. Uh, again, for some of us, these are it's the soundtrack of our youth. For others of you, you're just realising that there is such a thing as good music. Okay, let's move on to... Um, we can't avoid COVID. I've done... Um, a special on that. What I do on Quantum is I, I try to do themes for, for some of them. We're not going to do that for all of them, and we're not doing that this time. But we did do COVID, and you can refer back to the COVID one. But one of the aspects of COVID is this, is the heartlessness sometimes of some of the rules. Now, of course, there have to be rules, and of course, there is going to be pain. But the trouble is that sometimes I think that politicians are so obsessed with numbers and figures and how they are reported that they don't realise the impact it's having on individuals. And this is the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, 
pleading for a woman called Sarah Kassib to be allowed to attend her father's funeral. I'll explain in a minute, but listen to this. And to be honest, it's not about borders. It's not about federation. It's not about politicians. It's not about elections. The only thing that matters today is that Sarah can be with her 11-year-old sister, Isabel, and her mother, Myrna, while they mourn the passing of their father and husband, Bernard, at Mount Gravatt today. That's, that's the only thing that matters today. This is a heartbreaking case. And Sarah Cassip lives in what's called the ACT, one of the, of the Australian states. She wanted to go to Queensland to visit her dying father. She's from Queensland, but Queensland has closed its borders to the other Australian states. And they want to protect themselves from being uh, infected with people from other states. And Sarah Cassip had asked permission to go, and by the time it came and she would have to do two weeks quarantine, her father died. She pleaded that she'd be allowed to go to the funeral and so on. Now, what's significant about this is that the ACT hasn't had a case for 60 days. The chances of Sarah Cassip having COVID were infinitesimal. And yet it was this bureaucracy. She, she actually wrote to the Premier Anastasia Palaschuk, I think is how you pronounce it. My dad is dead and you made me fight to see him but it was too late, and now you won't let me go to his funeral or see my devastated 11-year-old sister. Now, not in any world does that make any kind of sense, at least not to me. It just doesn't. And what made it even more bizarre when was, when, was when the Queensland Premier started complaining that she was being bullied by Scott Morrison. It's a sign of the world that we're in, where I think politics is becoming more and more deified. It's the identity which people have. So depending on your political views, you, you, you defended her or you attacked her. And, I, and I'm saying, no, no. Can we not just think about the humanity? Here is a young woman, 26 years old, wanting to go and comfort her 11-year-old sister when they've both just lost their dad. Is anyone seriously going to defend bureaucracy preventing that happening? Right, let's move on to some, some culture. I wonder if any of you culture vultures recognise this. Master Cromwell, where are you from? Hutney, left when I was a boy. Your father? Blacksmith. Ah, at last! A man born in a more lowly state than myself. He comes from nothing. Who knows what he is? I heard he killed a man abroad and never made confession. I want to work for him. And that is, of course, the opening to Wolf Hall, the dramatization of Hilary Mantel's book, Wolf Hall, uh, which won the Booker Prize, as did the, the follow up to it, Bring Up the Bodies. And it was widely expected that the third book in the series, Mirror and the Light, would also win or at least, at the very least, be nominated. But the Booker Prize for this year, the shortlist, and The Mirror and the Light is not in it. Now, I've read The Mirror and the Light. It's a difficult book in the sense of, I think it's over, well, it is over 700 pages long. Now, why 
was it not there? We've got, we've got in the Booker Prize, I think it's dominated actually by American writers this year. But this is what thriller writer Lee Child, one of the judges, said. Mantle's book was an absolutely wonderful novel, but as good as it was, there were some books that were better. Now, I haven't read those books, but I, am, I, would, I would bet my house on it that they're not better. I think this is just a, a, a kind of contrarian thing. I mean, her book is difficult, but the, the prose is astonishing. And, and for those of us who are Christians, by the way, her understanding of Christian theology is pretty good too. Uh, for those who are historians, you'll never read such good history as, uh, as this book. And I'm just, well, I was going to say I'm stunned, but actually I'm not stunned. I'm not stunned. Why, why should I be surprised? I think we live in a world which has no class and no taste. All right, let's come on to something that's a bit more good news, and that is... so what you heard there, by the way, was Behrani television and the Emirates television and Israeli television presenters all together. It is a wonderful sound. It is a wonderful sight. Now, when you mention to people that President Trump could win the Nobel Peace Prize, people burst out laughing. They think this is ridiculous. They don't think it was ridiculous that President Obama won it, yet he didn't do anything for peace. Now, I'm not arguing against Obama. I'm just arguing, why did he get the Peace Prize? But Donald Trump, whatever you think of him personally, whatever you think of his character, whatever you think of his language, whatever you think of his style, what has happened in the past couple of weeks is utterly astounding. And that is, for the first time in 20 years, two Arab states, Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates, have signed, uh, in effect, what are peace deals establishing full diplomatic relations with Israel. And I think what Trump said was, is really important. He said, there's no more powerful response to the hatred that spawned 9-11. Now, the Palestinians are not happy. Everything is not perfect. But I'm telling you, this is a major deal. And if Americans were not so obsessed with navel-gazing at the dysfunctionality of their own culture and, the own, and their own political tribalism that's ongoing, then they would recognize this. This is totally and completely remarkable. And whatever else you may say about Donald Trump, uh, and I think we would say plenty, this has to be considered one of his greatest achievements. Now... I am going to confess something here. Anyone who knows me knows that I don't like Donald Trump, knows that I wouldn't have voted for him. I certainly wouldn't have voted for Hillary. I would have been an abstainer if I'd had a vote. I'm glad I didn't have that choice. Today, I cannot understand how such a wonderful nation as the United States, out of 350 million people, manages to come up with Donald Trump and Joe Biden as their main presidential candidates. I'm not going to speak in defense of a lot of Donald Trump, and I think it's ridiculous that so many Christians regard him as the Christian candidate, which he most clearly is not. But 
I'm not going to demonize him either, and we have to give praise where praise is due. So, let me ask you this. Now, I was opposed to the first Iraq war. I was opposed to the second Iraq war. I regard American, British, French policy in the Middle East in the past four decades as being disastrous and largely responsible for much of what is going on. I know it's more complex than that. But, you know, if it was Jeremy Corbyn who said this, people would be applauding him. But because it's Donald Trump, they keep saying, listen to what he had to say about the Middle East. We killed hundreds of thousands of people in the Middle East. It's all, it's been, it's been, I always say it's, it's, uh, it's the bloodiest sand anywhere in the world. And it didn't have to be that way. The single worst decision our country ever made was to go into the Middle East. Not only the millions of people killed, and I include people on both sides. You know, some people say, oh, you shouldn't say that. I said, I'll say it on both sides. Such a horrible thing was done. Such a horrible mistake was made. We're doing this a different way. The bloodiest sand anywhere in the world. The single worst decision our country ever made. Do you know this? On that, he is spot on. It's, it's, it seems so strange that this man, who has so many obnoxious traits, yet what he's done, in my view, has been far better than any of the more recent US presidents, especially in the Middle East. And then, this is was for me even more astonishing. Now, this was not Trump speaking off the cuff. The previous one, I'm certain, was Trump speaking off the cuff. This was a, uh, a script. Well, don't blame him for that. I don't think Joe Biden ever says anything other than on script. This was scripted, but he said it. This is the American president speaking. Listen to this. We embrace the vision of Martin Luther King where children are not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. The left is attempting to destroy that beautiful vision and divide Americans by race in the service of political power. By viewing every issue through the lens of race, they want to impose a new segregation, and we must not allow that to happen. Critical race theory, the 1619 Project, and the crusade against American history is toxic propaganda, ideological poison that, if not removed, will dissolve the civic bonds that tie us together, will destroy our country. That is why I recently banned trainings in this prejudiced ideology from the federal government and banned it in the strongest manner possible. Wow, that is utterly astounding, utterly astonishing. Critical race theory, apartheid. Yes, that's exactly what critical race theory is. And to hear the American president take it on is wonderful. And again, you know, I said before that when I was left wing in my younger days, I was against war in the Middle East. And now it's the American president who's against war in the Middle East, and it's the left-wingers who are against the American president. In my younger days, I was against apartheid in South Africa. And now the American president is speaking against apartheid, 
and it's the left wingers who are having a go at him. Man, the world has just been turned upside down. Now, let me just stick with America for the, this next item. Um, there was an, an op-ed in the New York Times, and I've gone back to reading it, I have to confess. Well, 50p a week, I couldn't resist that, uh, by uh, a woman called Sarah Posner. Now, Sarah reported on a group of evangelical leaders who were alarmed by the growing appeal of QAnon among their fellow Christians. And she interviewed Seth Brown, who's the executive editor of the Biblical Recorder, who wrote an excellent piece about the bizarre world of QAnon, which, which is its conspiracy theory max, um, where all the deep state people spend their time sex trafficking and coup plotting and saying that Christians don't buy into this stuff. I mean, I, one of the reasons I'm bringing this up is I was sent some of this stuff this week by by one of you. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. This is, this is what we call denial in so many ways. This is crazy stuff. Just because you don't like certain politicians, don't buy into the other stuff. But this is what I read in the New York Times. I thought it, this was great out of the New York Times. She says, I was moved by his words about truth and how much his faith is rooted in the pursuit of it. We believe God is truth and we believe his word is truth. We can't compromise these beliefs or that witness for some wacky conspiracy theory. Well, amen and amen and amen. Whether you're talking about vaccine hesitant Democrats or Q curious Republicans, the line between truth and faith can be fuzzy. You still have to choose to believe. Indeed. All right, here's another old tune. Let's see if you recognize this. Visions of the things to be, the pains that are withheld for me. I realize and I can see that suicide is painless. It brings on many changes And I can take or leave it If I please It is of course from the theme tune MASH and it's the rather sad news that suicide is not painless. The game of life is hard to play and you don't find your way out by suicide. But in the, in the Netherlands, see, when suicide is being introduced, and again and again and again and again and again, they keep pushing it here in New South Wales, it's already in Victoria and in Queensland, they're going to push it in the United Kingdom. They'll keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing, and they'll say, no, 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 it's not the slippery slope. But it is. It really is. There was an astonishing uh, visit from a Dutch ethicist, Professor Theo Bohr, who explained how there's been an expansion of assisted dying in the Netherlands. He once advocated legal euthanasia, but he changed his mind after seeing its continued expansion both in the Netherlands and other countries and the negative consequences of it. He, he points out that people very rarely commit assisted suicide because of pain, but do so for existential reasons, including worrying about losing control and their dignity and a fear of being a burden on their families and loved ones. Do you know, I, 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 I love this, this line, assisted suicide violates human rights by creating a two-tier system of valuing lives, which says to some people, yes, your suicide is worth preventing, but to others, yours isn't. 
the number of suicides in the Netherlands has risen by 35% over the past decade. That's not euthanasia. That coincides with a 150% rise in the number of people seeking assisted dying. In Germany, where it's, you can't have euthanasia, the suicide rate has decreased. Again, God rescue us from this death culture. Speaking of which, listen to this. Possibly my favourite film ever, of course, Schindler's List. Now, why am I putting it up here? Because the Oscars Academy has stated that within a couple of years, I think from 2022, under a film has to have underrepresenting groups. Uh, LGBTQ, women, racial and ethnic groups, people with disabilities. It, it must have at least one of the lead actors or significant supporting actors must be from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. Underrepresented people must be in creative leadership positions as departmental heads or as part of the crew. And there must be paid apprenticeships, internships and training for underrepresented people. Also, audience develop, development from publicity and marketing distribution must also include people from these categories. Now, Virtue signaling, wokeness, whatever you want to call it. This is crazy. Why is it crazy? Schindler's List. That couldn't be in the list. It couldn't have Oscars. How many LGBTQ people? How many women? Well, there's a few women in, the, in that film, but you know, what, what, are we, what are we doing with this? I'm afraid the Oscars are going to go the same route as... All of these woke representations, these people who live in this tiny enclosed bubble which they think the rest of the world should be, and I don't think the rest of the world's going to go. And speaking of that tiny enclosed bubble, we'll stick with the United States, we'll go to California, we'll go to Governor Gavin Newsom, who has just signed a bill that makes it uh, harder for churches and youth organizations and others to be protected against sex predators. Because there was a mandatory sex offender registration requirement for adults convicted of homosexual sex acts with minors. As long as the sex is consensual, the victim is 14 or older and the perpetrator is within 10 years of age. And they've taken that away, which means a 24-year-old teacher or soccer coach convicted of sex acts with a 14-year-old wouldn't necessarily be on the sex offender register that churches and youth programs and others use in terms of hiring people. Now... The reason for this being there is that California's legal code gives the same judicial discretion on statutory rape cases involving young adults who commit heterosexual sex acts. Why didn't they just ban that? Because 
I, I think this is, again, still, this is not the QAnon type conspiracy stuff. And QAnon and all these people do so much harm by advocating that because they open the door to people saying, oh, you're just QAnon. This is not the QAnon stuff. But it is, it is an open door to perversion. Okay, let me just do two more things before we finish. Uh, China and the Vatican. The Vatican has agreed to extend an agreement with the Chinese government on the appointment of bishops. It's a secret agreement, but it's widely understood to be that it is the Communist Party who appoints Catholic bishops in China. Yeah, just take a deep breath and think about what that means. The Catholic author James Roberts has, of course, raised questions about the deal and has asked, how can we have a deal with a party responsible for the incarceration without trial, torture, humiliation, and total surveillance of a billion people? The only answer is surely is none. There's no advantages, there are no benefits, and he's quite right. What are the Vatican playing at? Don't want to leave you on that note, no, and we've looked at suicide and so on. So let's talk about happiness. This one makes me laugh, makes me happy. A hair salon in Stroud, Gloucestershire placed an advert in the Job Centre Plus website stating it was a happy salon looking for happy people. But they were contacted by the, by, by, by the Department for Work and Pensions, the DWP, um, saying that uh, you can't place your advert because you put a discriminatory, discriminatory word in it and you need to change it. Because they said you're not allowed to use the word happy in case somebody thinks they can't apply because they're not a happy person. Yeah, uh, you better not use the word able to cut hair either. <laughs> it discriminates against people who can't cut hair. Um, I mean, the DWP said it was a mistake. But somebody drafted that. Somebody did that. You can't say that because it discriminates against. This is the offence culture that we're in. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. When Jesus walked. Oh, when he walked. When Jesus walked. He washed my sins away. Thanks for listening. Uh, any ideas, let me know. Any feedback, let me know. If you'd like to support Quantum, feel free to do so on the Podbean. But let's finish with the Edwin Hawkins singers, the original best version of Oh Happy Day. What makes you happy is when Jesus washes your sins away, when he teaches you how to watch and pray. That's where real happiness is, and my hope and prayer is that you would know 
the happiness and blessing of the Lord. See you next week. God.